Today's reading is taken from James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and well because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of the slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was opposing you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what did you make of that? We're used by now to the fact that James says some pretty challenging things. But even so, verse 1 stands off the page, doesn't it? A man called Upton Sinclair was a well-known author a hundred years ago in America. He once called together a group of church ministers and read this section of James to them, claiming that it was the words of a Russian lady who was uh, living in the United States and known for her anarchist views. Now, these are church ministers, not business leaders. How did they react? On hearing James chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, they were indignant and said, this woman ought to be deported at once. Well, not only did they not know their Bibles well enough to realise that they were hearing a bit of the Bible read out to them, more troubling they didn't know the teaching of the Bible, particularly the teaching of Jesus very well, to realise that this isn't James going out on a limb. No, this very much reflects the teaching and the priorities of Jesus himself. That actually, this is radical because Jesus is radical. That Jesus came and when in his teaching, he put money in its right place. I think the headline here is money is temporary so use it well. Money is temporary so use it well. Now this specifically was written to the rich people of the church of James's day and there might be a temptation as we read it through and it addresses the rich to think well that's us all off the hook doesn't it? But if you look at the world we live in, if you look at the statistics, uh, the UN reckons that there are 821 million people in our world today who don't have enough food. That's one in every nine people, roughly. So you and I might not be rich in London terms, but in world terms, we have enough, don't we? More than enough, most of us. If we have accommodation and enough mo money for food and clothes and paying the rent and the heating and all that sort of thing, if we have enough, and even if we have a little bit extra, then, well, we're better off than a huge number of people on planet Earth. Uh, we're in the top part of things, the richer half of things in world terms. 
So well, I'm just, the reason I'm saying that is that this, this teaching will have something to say to all of us about money, about how to use it, about its influence and its impact in our lives, and especially about how not to allow it to take us away from God and from God's purposes for us. That's James' big target here. He, he mentions three ways it could take us away from God, three pitfalls to avoid, three misuses of money. The first one is in verses 2 and 3. The first way to misuse money is to accumulate. Let me read. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. There were three main sources of wealth in the ancient world. Number one was farming. That produced the kind of wealth that rotted. Number two was clothes. And that's the kind of wealth that gets eaten by moths, according to verse two. Uh, before I moved to London, I thought this was a sort of problem that people had in the past, but we didn't really have in the present day. Until when I moved here, I started seeing holes appear in, well, my suit. I think my favorite suit was the first one to get it, and then it was some jumpers, and it's just kept on happening. I've done my best to control it, but I still haven't won the battle. Now, it's nice to have smart clothes. Don't get me wrong. But if you or I are hoarding wealth in that way, well, says James, it's just a very expensive way to feed the moths. Thirdly, says James, the third way that we might accumulate is gold or silver. That's the traditional way uh, in uh, our modern world, but that's the kind of wealth that will corrode. But hang on a minute, you say. Surely that's the whole point of silver and particularly of gold. They're precious metals and they don't go rusty. Maybe not in Earth's atmosphere, says James, but we're not talking only about Earth's atmosphere. We're talking about heavenly realities, and in the atmosphere of heaven, they do corrode, and it's not just the metal, it's the owner that corrodes in the atmosphere of heaven when those things are hoarded and those things become the center of our lives. It's a horrible picture, actually, if you read again verse 3. Their corrosion will eat your flesh like fire. So it's not really literal rust that James is speaking of, although obviously he's using that analogy. It's spiritual decay and corruption. It's hoarded wealth produces in us a sort of spiritual infection, a spiritual septicemia that no doctor can help us with. And of course, that's why this form of hoarding is so serious for us nowadays. Because there are so many ways for us to accumulate, aren't there? There's phones, computers, cars, trainers, jewelries, TVs, lots more besides. Many of us would like to have a, a little bit more money, a, a few more things, or maybe a lot more. We see no harm in that. But James warns us, watch your heart. Sorry about the noise. Watch your heart. Watch out for your family. If you came and found your children watching 
scenes of graphic violence or, or, or a sex scene on TV, you'd turn it off quick, wouldn't you? But what if you came in and found them watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or the results of the National Lottery or just the adverts for more after more after more? Do you realise they'd be in just as much danger there of being corrupted just in a different area of life? So that's issue number one, accumulating, hoarding. Money, wealth is temporary, so use it well. That's what it's for. It's not meant to be hoarded, it's meant to be used. It's designed to fade away with use, whether by rotting or rusting or falling to pieces. Hoarding and holding will just turn us inwards. It'll stop us from being generous people. It will stop us from loving people as we ought to, from loving God as we ought to, and from giving to, and it'll stop us from giving to God's work, which of course is the only thing that does last forever. First issue with money is hoarding and uh, accumulating. That's the first misuse. The second is in verse four, cheating. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen have, who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. People with money throughout history have exploited people with less. Facts. Back then, it was a subsistence economy. You didn't have a bank account, you didn't have a credit card, you had the, the money in your pocket. So if the boss failed to pay the workers, then they wouldn't be able to buy food, and some of them might starve. That's what's meant in verse 6, where it talks about condemning and murdering the innocent. Now, let's make a charitable assumption for a moment that the rich people we're reading about weren't aiming to kill anybody, that it wasn't one of their New Year's resolutions. But James says, well, look at what's happening. Look at the real world. This is a direct result of your actions. Whatever reason they were giving themselves for not paying the workers on time, ultimately, the underlying reason was a love of money instead of people, and it was deadly. It meant that people starved to death, and it was deadly for the rich people too, because it corroded their souls. For a rich person who's claiming to be a Christian but is actually double-minded and is loving and worshipping money, if that person is doing whatever they can to be rich, then they're in grave spiritual danger, which is why James is so firm in calling them to repent. Now, the uh, economic system of today is much more complicated. We never meet the people uh, who grow our food or who make our clothes. It all arrives for us, doesn't it? Ready to go in a nice shiny plastic package. But our choices when we shop, when we consume, they affect other people in our global village. We ought to ask, where, where does this come from? How did it get made? Who grew it? How did it get here? We ought to ask those questions. How do my choices, my actions, affect people around the world? You see, the marketing people never mention exploitation. They keep it out of sight but it's not hidden from God. Verse four, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. 
So a couple of, a couple of practical examples. Uh, as a PCC, a few years ago, we uh, addressed this. Uh, we realized that we needed to make sure that wherever we uh, employed someone to uh, do work at the church, we paid the London living wage. And uh, we made sure that they were under good terms of employment so that they would get a pension and, and, have, and have sick and holiday pay. And that if that uh, meant we had to pay some more, then we needed to pay some more. And uh, as a PCC, we need to keep an eye on that, making sure that we're still doing that in all the things that we're doing. Uh, of course, a major way is the one I've already mentioned. This applies to us all in the, in the decisions we make whenever we buy things, whenever we shop. But it also applies for every one of us who is in the workplace. The decisions we make there, the contracts we sign, the price we negotiate, the culture of the company, the pay structure, they all matter. And as Christians, we want to use whatever influence we have to make those structures fairer, to make sure that there's no favoritism between rich and poor. You, you may think, well, hang on a minute, Steve, that's, that's quite a lot to ask. I, I'm a pretty small cog in a huge machine. But you see, at the very least, we can all pray for justice. We can all make sure that we personally are on the right side, not showing favoritism, not being swayed by money. We can all, with the Lord's help, speak uh, about these things, speak up for those who don't have a voice, and speak up for doing things the right way, and make sure that we're not guilty of uh, trying to twist things to maximise profit at the expense of people. Accumulating, cheating, the third misuse of money is, verse 5, self-indulgence. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. So what do Tutankhamun, Alexander the Great, Queen Elizabeth I, and J.P. Morgan, the founder of the bank, all have in common? Answer, despite being some of the richest people who lived at the time that they lived, they didn't have half the things that you and I have today. They could only imagine being able to turn on a tap at home and have clean hot water come out, or being able to read your choice of millions of books after dark under the steady light of an electric light bulb, or to have fresh fruit and veg all the year round, kept, uh, kept nice and fresh for us in, in a cool magic box where you can keep things for days or weeks if you freeze them. They, uh, and the list goes on. Indoor plumbing, TV, antibiotics, air travel, mobiles, the internet, and it goes on modern luxuries that we've just got totally used to, but that could only have been dreamed of by those historical figures. Now, those things are all great. I'm really grateful I live when we do, rather than back then when it was much harder. But you see, there's a mindset that creeps in so subtly and quickly, which is to take all those things for granted and live our lives with my first priority, your first priority be my own comfort. 
even when God says go this way, my comfort says go that way, and I, oh, I don't really find that very hard, I just go with my comfort. And verse 5 describes that as fattening ourselves in the day of slaughter. The picture is of a, an ox or a cow that contentedly feeding away on the lovely lush grass, getting fatter and fatter. Next stop, the slaughterhouse. Grim. Or it's November and you're a turkey and you can't, you just can't understand it. You can't believe that there is so much food around at the moment because you don't know that Christmas is coming. As Christian women and men, we have not got that excuse. We do know that Christ is coming. We do know that he's coming, the judge, the one who will judge how we live now in the world, how we've used our money now. Which would be utterly terrifying news if he wasn't also the saviour. It may be for you that you are sort of slightly taken aback by the thought that God will judge the way that you and I use our money, the, the way that we pay for things, what we buy, and not just the actual transactions, he'll judge our motivations in our hearts. Which way were we going, our way or our way or his way, when we spent that money? The message of Christianity centres on Jesus' death for all the wrong that we've done, including all the times that you or I have misused money. He rescues all who trust in him. So for some, if there's conviction that this truth brings to you, that you've been going wrong, then maybe the response today is just to confess that in prayer to God and to know that Jesus' death for you pays for it all. And so to come to Jesus and say, please forgive me. But that truth, that wonderful truth, salvation, rescue for all who come back to God, all who repent of whatever sin, whether it's financial or something else, that great truth doesn't take away the fact that we need to change. It doesn't let us off the hook to go on sinning some more. Actually, it's the opposite. It's actually the motivation when we realise that the generosity of God to take us back as his people again, then it will move us and motivate us to become more like him and to be generous ourselves. The last few months have perhaps shown you, or they've certainly shown me, ways that we could live a more simple life, things that we thought were really important, which actually, they're not really. And so let's, as we look to the future, the next few months, that's, you know, winter's coming, there may be a bit more restriction again, but then beyond that, hopefully, we can look to a future where we'll have less of these restrictions around. In that future, how are we going to use, use money? Let's learn some of these uh, lessons from lockdown and put them in our lives as principles. Let's learn to use our money for God's glory in generosity to bless other people, to serve God, and to do good in the world. The last days are coming. The final day of Judgment Day is coming. Let's live accordingly. Sure, save for a holiday, um, plan for that retirement, but be aware through it all of these God priorities. 
make sure you and I, we're not hoarding and accumulating for the sake of it. We want to be generous because we know the generous God who gives to us, and so we want to give too. We want to say no to twisting and cheating to maximise profits for our own personal gain, or even in the tiny things like filling in expenses forms or, or tiny things with kind of stuff around the workplace, we want our hearts to be right, our hearts to be pure in this, not divided in any way at all, but wholehearted for God. We want to love God and use money, not love money and try and use God to get more of it. We want and all the way through faith. That's the vision that James gives us. A faith which uh, goes into action in the way that we use uh, all of the things that God's given us, uh, including our money. A faith that if our bank manager were to look at the statement, it would be obvious that we are worshippers of God. Money Wealth is temporary. Let's use it well.